This morning, I have the privilege to preach, and I have the responsibility, though, to preach 1 Corinthians 16. <laughs> the beginning of this passage is, well, this whole chapter really is kind of a challenge because it's the end of a, uh, the end of a letter. So the first half is where we're going to be today, or the first four verses where we're going to be today is about giving, and then the rest of it is about, uh, is pretty much just greetings and kind of Paul's plans. And so my dad will have that part next week with probably an overview of what we've covered in going through Corinthians. But I get the privilege and the responsibility to talk about the first four verses of 1 Corinthians 16. Um, and this is, a, this is apparently the last question that the Corinthians had for Paul and it was concerning a collection for suffering Christians in Jerusalem. Um, so it's no secret that this is a subject that is quite sensitive. Many accusations of greed and envy and thievery have been leveled at Christians and congregations and Christian leaders. And while most of the time the accusations are untrue and false, sometimes that's, that's not the case. Um, in fact, right now in the news you may have seen uh, there's a 78-year-old South Korean pastor, pastor of the largest church in the world a Pentecostal congregation in South Korea who was just found guilty of embezzling $12 million. And he's been sentenced to three years in, in prison. Also in the news right now, you may have heard, there's a, there is a large Pentecostal congregation in Singapore whose pastors are facing accusations of, of stealing $40 million. And so the accusations of stealing and greed and envy in church and for Christians are nothing new, even when they are unfounded. In fact, right here in 2012, when people left Christ Fellowship Church, accusations of stealing were thrown around at leaders, at our, our elders actually here. Um, and of course, they were unfounded. I encouraged one of the accusers who actually is a police officer to get the authorities involved if they really believe that something is fishy. And of course, that didn't happen because they were unfounded claims. So there, this is nothing new and it's quite a sensitive subject to talk about money giving in the church and especially here with those accusations and given that our current situation at Christ Fellowship is tight money's tight that makes that makes this sermon potentially appear to some as just fishing for more money and we want to guard against that. That's not the case. That's where we're at in 1 Corinthians, and so that's where we're at this morning. We can't be afraid of the truth. We can't be afraid to say things like things are tight at Christ Fellowship. We can't be afraid of uh, passages in 1 Corinthians 16 that talk about money. So that's where we're at, at in Christ Fellowship, and that's where we're at in 1 Corinthians, so that's where we're at this morning. That's what we're talking about. So maybe this morning you will be challenged. Maybe, maybe some of you will be faced with unwillingness to listen and to obey what this, is, what this passage is talking about. Some, some of you, greed and envy may rear its ugly head as you listen. And some of you, the Holy Spirit may be challenging to make changes in how you give or how much you give. For others of you, maybe it is just going to be a matter of understanding better why you are giving. 
So whoever you are this morning, wherever you are this morning, this is my encouragement to you. It's to lay yourself bare before God, to lay yourself bare before his word and to run to him, to let this word be a refuge to you. So don't, don't run from him, run to him. Amen? So before we go further, let's pray. Let's pray that the Holy Spirit would lead us there and let's pray that he would speak to us by his word, that he would give us faith to hear and make us faithful. Amen? So let's pray. Abba Father, we need you this morning. We need you to lead us by your Holy Spirit into the truth to your son. Please speak to us. Make us like your servant Samuel to listen to your word with childlike faith and expectation. God, make us eager to obey your commands. Wash our minds this morning and soften our hearts this morning. God, would you enlarge our faith this morning and, gr- and guard our fragile souls from greed and envy. God, make us to burn with passion for your kingdom such that our possessions and our relationships in this world would, would become worthless compared to Jesus Christ, who is our treasure. God, magnify him as eternally valuable in our eyes this morning. And we ask these things in Jesus' name for your glory and for our good. Amen. Amen. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 through 4. This is the word of the Lord. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. Okay, so the church in Jerusalem was apparently experiencing poverty and it was probably because of persecution and plundering. That's probably the reason. So the leaders in Jerusalem, the leaders of the church, employed Paul as he was on his missionary journeys, as he was going out to employ the churches, the Gentile churches specifically, to employ them to support, to give a collection to the Christians back in Jerusalem who were suffering. So from these verses this morning, I want us to take four things in particular. And then from these four points, we're going to look in a broader context of what, uh, at what the Bible teaches about giving. And so our surface objective today is to understand fundamentally what the Bible teaches about giving. So we're going to be jumping around to, to um, other places besides just here in Corinthians. So these are the four things. Number one, giving is something that all of us are to do and all of us are to do together. Giving is something that all of us are to do and all of us are to do together. Number two, we are to give intentionally and consistently. We're to give intentionally and consistently. And three, we, we give proportionally. So to whom much is given, much is required. And number four, we are to give wisely. All right, so number one, giving is something that all of us are to do and all of us are to do together. We don't just give to the church, we give 
as the church. So when, when we take up our tithes and offerings, we're not just giving our money to the church. Remember, this building, this organization isn't the church. We are the church. You are the church. So the sign outside should actually say something like, this is where Christ Fellowship meets. This, is, this building isn't Christ Fellowship. This organization, our tax ID number does not represent Christ Fellowship Church. You are Christ Fellowship Church. So we don't give to the church, we give as the church. All right, that's the first thing. And we do, we do that, that is something that we are all to do and we're all to do together. So in your bulletin this month, that you'll, you'll see a note about tithing. I don't know how many of you are familiar with the idea or the term tithing or if you're doing it, but tithing simply put means tenth, tenth, tithe, tenth. To tithe is to give a tenth. So tithing actually can be seen as early in our Bibles as Genesis 14, 20, when Abraham gave a tenth of everything to a king slash priest named Melchizedek, who was a type and a shadow of Jesus Christ. So Genesis 14, 17 through 20 says this. After his return from the defeat of Kedolamur, this other place, the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom, went out to meet him at the valley of Shaveh, that is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God most high. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. So Abraham goes to battle to rescue his, his uh, uh, to rescue Lot and upon his return from victory, he meets the king of Salem, who is the priest of God Most High. His name is Melchizedek. He meets Melchizedek, and he tithes to him. So just a quick note here. Salem means peace. So this guy's the king of Salem. And Melchizedek, his name means king of right, or king of righteousness. Melchizedek, it's two words that psh, mean king of right. So this guy is the king of peace, He's the king of righteousness. He, this is one of the ways we know he was a type of Christ. And, and this is why Abraham tithes him. So the guy comes out, Melchizedek comes out. Abraham tithes of everything he has, it says. He gives a tenth of everything he has. So it, was, it wasn't until generations later that Moses actually codified tithing in the law that Moses actually said okay now about tithing here's how we do it here's when we do it here's what you need to do so it was tithing the idea though isn't some idea that just comes up in in the law that's one thing you'll hear a lot we don't have to tithe because you know we're not under the law anymore in the new testament there is no explicit command to tithe nowhere does it say we must give a tenth of everything we have. I want, I want that to be very clear. Nowhere in the New Testament does the Bible say, you have to give a tenth of everything you have. However, nowhere in the New Testament does it say, you no longer have to give a tenth of everything you have. So it's, it's, it's kind of one of those things. But in the New Testament, Jesus endorses the tithe. He endorses it. And he implies that that tithing is the bare minimum, that tithing, that 10% is the floor to our giving. So Luke eleven forty one and 42 say this, 
But give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. So Jesus says, it's great that you're tithing. You should give a tenth of everything, but you're not doing enough, Pharisees. You're tithing all right, but it's not enough. More is required of you. You're neglecting justice and love. You're looking for the line, Pharisees. You're looking for the line to make sure you are a mince leaf away and you're missing it altogether. So the gospel of Mark in Mark 12, 41 through 44, it records for us a time when Jesus is sitting by the offering box. He's sitting by the offering box and he's watching everyone walk by. So kind of like we did probably with communion, we all filed up and got our communion, went back to our seats. It was probably something more like that. They sat, Jesus was sitting by the offering box and he was watching everyone as they gave. And here comes this, well, first you have the, you know, you see the Pharisees, they're, they're giving and they're giving and they're giving, really obvious. And then you have this poor widow who walks up and she puts in two coins equal to one sixty-fourth of a day's wage. So I'll give you some perspective. Somebody making minimum wage, a day's, a sixty-fourth of a day's wage for someone making minimum wage would be like 93 cents. She puts in two coins, a penny it says, 93 cents. And Jesus calls his disciples over and he says this, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking the same thing I, I think when I read that verse. You're thinking the same thing that I have the tendency to think when I read the verse. You're thinking, no, that wasn't very smart of her. She must not, you know, poor, poor widow woman got duped again by the church. But that's not what Jesus says. I ask questions like, well, now how is she going to pay her bills? You know, if, if she gave everything she had, now what is she going to do? That's the question I ask. That's not what Jesus says, though. Jesus commends her. Jesus approves her. He approves of her wasteful worship. So giving is something that everyone is to do no matter your station in life. No matter your station in life, rich and poor contribute together. Everyone giving, everyone sharing, everyone prospering. And the, this is the picture we have in Acts of the first century church. Acts 2, 44 through 47 says this, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved." They were selling their possessions and their belongings and, did, and distributing all the proceed, proceeds to all. 
as any had need. And I know that sounds, to, to some of you Republicans in here, it sounds a little bit leftist. You know, it's like, oh, that's like socialism or something, right? And if that sounds leftist to you, just wait till you see what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8, 7 through 14. To, to, and he's talking to the very same Christians that we read about in 1 Corinthians 16. He's talking to the same people, the same Christians, in the second letter he writes them, and this is what he says. This is what he says, 2 Corinthians 8, 7 through 14. You're gonna wanna write that one down because I promise you won't believe what it says. It says this, but as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. And in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well so that your readiness and desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has. Pay attention here. It is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need that there may be fairness. Fairness. Now, (laughs) this is not socialism. This is not leftist. This is not liberal communism. The root of those political ideologies is greed and envy and pride. Greed and envy and pride. That's what is at the root of those things. This is not that. This is Christianity. This is justice and mercy that is rooted in love, in the gospel. And it's, it's only, it isn't only a matter of mercy, It is a matter of justice, of fairness, Paul says. It's not just mercy. It's not just compassion. It's a matter of justice, of fairness. So we share one another's burdens. That is what Paul says is fair. Fair. Now, our government, our thieving government, throws around this word fairness and I don't believe they really know what it means. Fair, it's been said, this, this has been said, fairness in a democracy. A democracy is, is two wolves and a sheep voting on what to have for dinner. That's not fairness, that's just legal. Fairness to our government is two poor men and one rich man voting on what to do with the rich guy's money. That's not fairness, that's just legal thievery, okay? That's not what we're talking about. Paul is talking about something very, very different. Paul is talking about Christian generosity, and he says fairness, he says fairness because he know, he knows that a Christian's heart is like a bucket, a bucket with no lid under an endless tap. 
And a bucket with no lid under an endless tap cannot help but what? Overflow. That's what a Christian heart is like. That's what Paul is talking about. He's not talking about legal thievery. He's not talking about wealth distribution by compulsion. He's talking about Christian generosity because your hearts are like a bucket with no lid under an endless tap of God's love and mercy and provision. Fairness, justice prescribes where that overflow lands. Where that overflow lands. And that brings us to the next point. Number two, we are to give intentionally and consistently. So unless we understand our giving in the context of our relationships with God and with one another, what I'm talking about this morning will be impossible to embrace without just becoming a socialist, without just becoming a a philanthropist. Okay, we've got to understand it in the context of our relationship with God and with one another. And, and, and in that, we are to give intentionally. So think about giving in the context of your family, of a family. All right, imagine a father who notices that his four-year-old daughter needs a new pair of shoes, okay? And you go out and you buy her, without hesitation, a pair of shoes, Is that socialism? Is that leftist? No, no. Does the biblical principle, you don't work, you don't eat, apply there? No. Why? Are you going to run the risk of being called a socialist or a leftist or, or whatever because you provided for your family? No. Because she's your family, because she's your daughter, because she's four, she's not capable of going and getting a job. She's dependent on you. That's her station, dependent, incapable on you. So because you love her and that's her current situation, your relationship demands that you bear her burden. Now, what good parent is going to look at their dependent and capable child and say, mm, that's not my problem. You don't work, you don't eat for your four-year-old who needs shoes. Is that a good parent? No, not at all. But you know, that's exactly, now listen to me. That's exactly what many conservative Christians reduce the, the issue of poverty down to. Just go get a job. That's what many conservative Christians reduce the, the problem of poverty down to. Just get, just get a job. And that is foolish. That is wicked. Because that isn't always, it, it isn't always that easy. It's not always that simple. Especially when we're talking about people who are chronically suffering. Who are in need. And especially when we're talking about our brothers and sisters. We've got to understand we're talking about family. So when we're a part of a family. We are bound by love to share and to give and to bear one another's burdens. And and, and in all honesty. When we begin to experience the reality of family as a congregation. When we here begin to experience the reality that we are a family. Here at Christ Fellowship. 
It will seem odd to you, to us, to, to even talk about helping one another as a sacrifice. Any more than getting your daughter a new pair of shoes is a sacrifice. Yeah, it may cost, it may hurt, it may mean something else and the budget goes undone. But, but you won't think of it as a sacrifice because they're your family. That's what you owe them. That's fair. They're your daughter. So giving promotes this kind of gospel unity. Giving strengthens and proves the bond of a family. And that should be part of our intention when we give. We're giving like Christ gave. So our first priority and our first responsibility when we give is to our family. And specifically for us here at Christ Fellowship Church, our first priority should be those who have a need among us. Those who have a need among us. Now, I mean, just think of it again in the context of a, of a parent and a child. I mean, if, if your child needs something and you only have, okay, if your child needs a pair of shoes and you only have one pair of shoes and you see somebody else who needs a pair of shoes, who's gonna get the pair of shoes? Your child better get the pair of shoes because that's your responsibility to your family. That's what we're talking about here at Christ Fellowship. Our priority is to our family. Okay? Now, I want to make it really clear what I'm saying. You may not feel, you may not feel it, you may not understand it, but the reality is we are a, we really are a family here. And that, that may not, that may not, um, if you, what I mean is, if you are a member of Christ Fellowship, if you're a member of this body, if you've been joined to this body, we're family. We're family, okay? But more, more than that, and beyond that, if you are a Christian, you're family. So we can go to, when we visited Ireland back in 2009, I'll never, I'll never forget walking in on a Sunday morning to a church, a group of people we've never met in our lives, uh, you know, obviously, we've never met any of them, walking in and being able to sit down beside them and sing with them and take communion with them and hear the word with them and then talk with them afterwards because we were family. Well, I mean, there was a bond there. Like they would have, they would have given me the shirt off their back if I needed it because they were my family. So if you, you, you've got to understand that and you've got to understand that the bond as Christians, that is what trumps every other bond. So that means it, 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 an Islamic terrorist who, who becomes a Christian, your bond to that Christian is, is more, you have more in common, you have a tighter bond with that Christian than you, than you have with an army vet who's an atheist, an American war vet who's an atheist. You have a tighter, more true bond, more in common with an Islamic terrorist who becomes a Christian than you have with an American good old boy is a war vet who's an atheist. If, if you are a Christian this morning, you have more in common with, you have a tighter bond with a Mexican national who is a Christian than you have with the Republican or the Democrat or the ICE agent who lives on your street who's an, who's an atheist. That is the bond that we have in Christ. We are family. 
that must become a reality for us. More than just talking about it, more than just theory, that must become a functioning reality for us. This is part of our intention when we give, to provide for our family. So giving intentionally also really simply uh, means not giving as an afterthought. Not giving as an afterthought. Not forgetting, not saying, well, let's pay everything else and then see what we have left over. We, we are to give intentionally. We are to give first. We are to, we are to give with purpose and we are to do this consistently. And this is why we collect tithes and offerings on Sunday, every Sunday. First, you know, first day of the week, every Sunday. Now, Paul in 1 Corinthians 16, he says, um, on the first day of every week. But this doesn't, for instance, mean um, that if you get paid monthly or if you get paid every two weeks that you have to space it out and, you know, give a little bit every week. The point is to be consistent. And I, and I would say at a minimum, as often as you receive, give. At a minimum, as often as you receive, give. In the Old Testament, we see the same thing. We see a set time when people were to give. And this makes sense from a from purely practical uh, standpoint because uh, another part of what our giving is for as the church is, f- is uh, besides caring for the poor, is to provide a livelihood to ministers. Ministers like me, ministers like my uh, father, your pastor. So 1 Corinthians 9, 13, and 14 says this, Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commands that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living from the gospel. 1 Timothy 5, 17, and 18 says this, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, or a double honorarium, double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. So here at Christ Fellowship, um, our pastor and myself, we both get paid weekly. Our church operates on a budget. this doesn't mean we operate like a business where our bottom line is a dollar sign. That is certainly not the case. But as an organization, as an organization, we're a nonprofit. Um, and as you all well know, that doesn't mean uh, that we nothing takes money if you're a nonprofit. Of course, we have bills, um, consistent bills to pay like anyone else or any other organization. And so, really practically, if there's no consistency in our giving, it's going to make keeping operations operating very difficult, right? I mean, if there's no consistency in giving, it will be very difficult to um, run a budget. So that's just that's another reason why giving should be consistent and intentional. Uh, the third point is we are to give proportionally. To whom much is given, much is required. So we give, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16.3, he says, as we prosper. So back to the tithe. Tithe means 10%, and that's the floor of our giving. That's the minimum. So, so for instance, if your gross income is $100 a week, your tithe would be $10 a week. If your gross income is $1,000 a week, your tithe would be $100 a week on, on a Sunday. This 
10% is the tithe and everything above that would be, is what we call the offering. So for example, on Mission Meal Sunday, last week, if you give your tithe in uh, here, you give your tithe and you go next door and you put in another $10, that $10 that you put in, that is an, an offering. That's your offering. So remember the widow who gave two small coins. Jesus said, Jesus said she gave more than everyone else. And why? Why? Because Jesus wasn't interested in the amount. He was not interested in a number. He was not interested in how much money they were going to have at the end of that offering, end of taking taking up that collection. He was not interested in an amount. He was interested in that woman's heart. He was interested in her heart. And, And the fact that she gave all of her earthly treasure... It revealed where her trust was. It exposed her greed-free heart. It exposed it. It opened, it opened up her chest and, and you could see there's no greed in that heart. It, it was a heart that overflowed with love. Now contrast that with the Pharisees who meticulously tithed down to their spice drawers. No more, no less. All the while neglecting justice and love. Their giving exposed the greed and the envy that had consumed their empty heart. Greed and envy had consumed their empty heart. And their giving reflected that. This is why the Bible says, God loves a cheerful giver. Because you cannot fake that. You can't fake that. You're you're either going to give cheerfully or you will not. And that is a heart issue, not an amount issue. That's a heart issue, not an amount issue. And not even strictly a money issue. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 12. The point is this, Paul says. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Let me just read that last part again to you because hear what this hear what this is saying okay i don't want you to i don't want you to listen to this again and 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 assume that this is just another church fishing for money okay listen to what paul says here each one must give as he has decided in his heart not reluctancy or under compulsion i'll say it again later and i'm but i'll say it now If you, at the end of this service, when you leave here and you have the opportunity to drop in your tithes and your offerings in the buckets by the door, if you are reluctant or under compulsion, don't give. Don't give. Don't. Just don't. This is give as you have decided in your heart, not reluctancy, not under compulsion. God loves a cheerful giver. And here's the kicker. This is the point. This is, this is not Christ fellowship wanting more money. This is the point. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at 
all times you may abound in every good work. So C.S. Lewis, uh, in speaking about social morality, has this to say about giving. He said, I don't believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditure on comforts, luxuries, amusements, etc. is up to the standard common among those with the same income as our own, we are probably giving away too little. If our charities do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say they are too small. There ought to be things we should like to do and cannot do because our giving excludes them. End quote. And that leads us to the fourth point. We are to give wisely. Now, this is really important to understand correctly because if we're not careful, what we'll do is we'll try and use this point. We'll try and use we are to give wisely as, um, we'll try and use that as good advice for the widow to not give up the two coins she put in the offering. Give wisely, widow. Don't do that. Keep that. You're going to have to pay your water bill next month or whatever. Here's, um, we'll read Malachi in just a minute. Uh, to give that advice to that widow woman would not be uh, good advice. It would not be wisdom. It would be greed. It would not be love. It would be selfish ambition. So let's be careful to understand this rightly. So Malachi 3, 6 through 12. Malachi 3, write this one down too if you're taking notes. Malachi 3, 6 through 12. For I, the Lord, do not change Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and your contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all the nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Malachi 3, 6 through 12. You need to write that down and go read it again later. So first important point, most importantly, the thing to keep in mind is that when we do not give or when we do not give rightly, the Bible says we are robbing God. That is not a wise thing to do. <laughs> it's not wise to rob from the government. It's, you know, if you owe taxes on your house and you say, you know what, I don't agree with that. I don't think that's fair, which, you know, I'll be the first to tell you, I think it's a total sham, whatever. If I were to say no, guess, and, and rob from them, 
guess what's going to happen? They're going to take my house. It's not smart to rob from our government. Guess what? It's really not smart to rob from God. It's really not smart. It's not a wise thing to do. So if you, if you, as, if you are financially in need this morning, if you're financially, if you have needs financially this morning, and you're thinking, I cannot afford to give. I, you know, Caleb, that sounds great. I would, love to, I, I would love to be able to sit down at a restaurant and say, waiter, I want to I pick up that, their tab over there. I would love to be able to give, Caleb, but I just can't afford it. These words in Malachi are for you. And this is the point. You cannot afford not to give. Because you cannot afford to rob God. You can't afford not to give. Listen to what it says again in Malachi. I don't want to belabor the point, but listen to this. Test me in this. God does not say that often. And here, when it comes to giving, when it comes to the tithes and the offerings, God says, test me in this. Test me in this. And if you're in need this morning, listen to this. Test me in this. If, you'll, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until, until there is no more need. Now, in Acts 5, we can, so we can't afford to not give. That's the point. In Acts 5, we see the story of two people, Ananias and Sapphira, a couple. And we're not going to read it now, um, but you should go and read it sometime. And, and what they do is they sell their land. Remember, this is right after Acts 2, we read it, where everybody's selling everything they have and they're giving to the community as a whole. And so these guys, Ananias and Sapphira here in Acts chapter 5, they sell their land and they bring their offering to the church, except... They thought it would be a good idea. Maybe even they thought it would be a wise idea to keep some back and just leave the appearance that they're giving everything. They, they were robbing God. And right there in the New Testament, right there in the new covenant of grace, Jesus had died on the cross for sins. And right there in the new, new covenant, right there in grace... God strikes them where they stood. He cut them down. And literally, they collapsed dead on the spot. And the youth group went out and buried him. That's what it says. The guy comes in and he drops dead. Youth group goes and buries him. The woman comes in. Hey, where's my husband? Psh, she drops dead. And he says, you know what? You thought it was a, a good idea to rob from God? No. And dead. Youth group goes and buries them. The point is that it's not wise to rob God. It's not wise. If you give tithes and offerings, because that is what a Christian must do, that's what a Christian must do. I give my offerings because that's what I must do. You're not giving wisely. It, it, a Christian is not obligated to give to God. Christian, you're not obligated to give to God. You are liberated to give to God. You're not obligated. You are liberated to give to him. 
Jesus tells us a parable in Matthew of sheep and goats. And, and it's, it's about the final judgment. In Matthew 25, 31. And it says this. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd, a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. As you did to the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison? And did not minister to you. Then he will answer them saying. Truly I say to you. As you did not do it to one of the least of these. You did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment. But the righteous into eternal life. Wealth is a ruthless master who will require you to work your hands to the bone for the hope of gaining even the slightest bit of her favor, even the slightest bit of her approval. But God is a merciful master and a loving father who freely gives you all things. And when he calls you to become his child, he calls you to an everlasting inheritance. He frees you from the cold, dark dungeon of obligation and requirement. From a hunger and a thirst that can never be satisfied. He frees you and he carries you into his kingdom where he satisfies you. He feeds you and he clothes you. No more do you live for obligation and requirement. Now you live for desire. You live 
from God, for God, through God. And this is what it is to be liberated to give. You're liberated. You're not obligated. You who have been shown mercy, give mercy. You who have been forgiven, forgive. You who have been loved, love. You who have received, give. So Luke 6, 38 says this, Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Listen, there is something out there called the prosperity gospel. It is a heresy. And it takes these verses that we're talking about. It takes the message that we're talking about this morning and it makes it into this formula where God just becomes the Coke machine in the sky. You put in your quarter and you get a, get a prize. That's not what this is. That's not what this is. But, but really practically speaking, think about this. If I have three seeds and I, and I plant them in the ground, should I be expecting to get 15 acres worth of, worth of a harvest? No. No, because what I planted was three seeds. If that's what I have, that's what I have. With the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And I, I, I want to say this too. This isn't just about amounts. Well, if I'm poor, I'm going to always, always, always be poor. God looked at that widow woman who put in 93 cents. And he says she gave more than everybody else. She planted seed more than everybody else because it was about a heart issue, okay? So mercy and love trump obligation and requirement. When we live in mercy and love, you will not feel a shred of obligation to generously overflow, okay? When, 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 when I dismiss later and you go out and you walk past that bucket, if you live in mercy and love, you will not feel a shred of obligation to toss in your offering, okay? And if you feel obligation, don't toss it in. Don't give it. All right? When we live in mercy and love, obligation goes out the window. We, we live in mercy and love. We don't have to give. We get to give. We are not obligated. We are liberated. So think again of the, think of the rich young ruler. This man was tormented, rich and young, and he was tormented because he knew there was something missing in his life. And when the Bible calls him rich, he wasn't just meaning he had a lot of money. He had a lot of money, but it didn't just mean rich. It means he was morally upright. He was morally rich. He was a good man. Everybody around him would look at him and say, that's a good man, all right? This rich young ruler was tormented because he knew there was something missing in his life, some requirement that was still unmet. And so he asked Jesus, good teacher, what do I need to do? And what did Jesus tell him? Give everything away. Sell everything you have and give it all away. And this rich young man went away sad because he had great wealth. He went away bound when Jesus was offering him freedom. 
if your mindset today is hopelessly stuck in this idea of requirement or obligation, of what must I do? How much do I have to give? Are you saying 10%? Are you saying 11%? Can I give 9%? What about 5%? If that's your mindset this morning, how much do I have to give? Probably Jesus' advice to the rich young rulers where you need to start and give it all away. Sell your house, empty your bank accounts. You think that sounds radical for, for us modern Americans? I'm telling you, if that's where you're at, that's what Jesus would tell you this morning. Get rid of it all. You know why? Because what does it profit a man to gain the world and lose his soul? If your heart is so bound by what do I have to get rid of, I want to keep my stuff, you, you are gonna lose your soul. Start where the rich young ruler was called to start. Give it all away and follow Jesus. So giving is actually an act of obedience, but, but mainly it's an act of worship. It's an overflow of desire. It's an overflow of affection for Jesus. So it's, a, it's, an, it's an obligation in the same way buying your four-year-old a new pair of shoes is an obligation you know what I mean? It's, it's the same kind of obligation. Yes, you're obligated to because you're, the, you're her parent. But you're not obligated to. You want to. You do it because you love her. It's an overflow of affection and desire. Giving is an outworking of grace because when we give when we give to the least, we're giving to Jesus. When, when we give to the nobody who we know is ripping us off, we're giving to Jesus. And when we withhold from the least, we're withholding from Jesus. So giving is something that we're all to do. We're all to do together. Giving uh, is to be intentional and consistent Giving is proportional. Uh, we, we're to give proportionally. We're not, we're not all, we're, this isn't fair tax. We're not all given the same amount. We give proportionally as we have. And we are to give wisely. Now, this morning, I'm talking mainly in the context of money. But, but the principle that we're talking about of giving, of what the Bible calls giving, this isn't just about money. This principle applies to our entire life, to our possessions, to our service, to our work, our time, our play, our leisure, our gifts, and our talents. So this is what it means to be a disciple of Christ, to live a life that is not your own by his faith, the faith that he has given you by grace. To live a life that he has given you. We live by his breath that he has given us. You woke up this morning, praise the Lord. You set an alarm to wake up, but I promise you, you didn't wake up on your own will. You weren't keeping your heart beating and your lungs working all night. Your breath is a gift. His provision 
that he's given to you is a gift. You, your life, your money, they are not really yours. You are only a steward. You are only a manager of somebody else's stuff. And one day, you will be required to give a full accounting of what you did with somebody else's stuff. That's what the parable of the sheep and the goats was about. And the question is this, will you have been wise like that poor widow or will you be found wanting like the rich young ruler? So this morning, like I said, instead of passing the buckets around, we're going to, um, they're going to be in the back. There's three buckets, one on the table, one right there by the door and one over here. We're not going to pass the plates. And, and the reason we're not going to pass the plates um, is because I, I, want, I want you to be very careful that you're not just going to throw something in because of some fading buzz, because this message was all about giving, because that's where we're at, at in 1 Corinthians. I, I don't want you to just be moved emotionally, you know, or, or to just, you know, feel guilt because oh, the pastor talked about giving. I guess I better throw something in. No, we're going to not pass the plates. You can give on your way out or don't, really. And especially if you're feeling obligated or you're feeling guilty, especially don't. Because what you really need to give, you can't throw in that bucket. Do, do I want to see Christ Fellowship Church prosper? Absolutely. And I hope you do too. Does that mean we all get richer? Probably not. But what I do know for certain is that it means we all give more. Uh, of course I want you to give this morning. I pray that we would start to see patterns of giving here at Christ Fellowship increase and increase. But I want that to be the case because we're giving something that you can't toss in to the bucket because you're giving your heart to Jesus. You're giving your life to him. I know that our congregation prospering means that as the Holy Spirit washes us, as he sanctifies us, as he teaches us, Jesus will have more and more of your affection for him. He will have more and more of our affection and our desire. He will have more of our trust he will have more of our trust. He will have more of our money until our mission is accomplished. Christ in all of life for all the world. We, Marley says it every week. We, we support missionaries. $600 a month goes to our missionaries. Can you, does, wouldn't it be amazing if we could double that, what we're sending to our missionaries? Wouldn't it be amazing if we could, we have actually some friends who, who, one guy, the guy grew up right down the road here. They're going to be visiting us here next month. They're missionaries. They have a little kid and they're going to go spend three years in India. They're learning the language and they're going to be translating. Uh, no, they're going to be um, teaching Indian uh, Christians and non-Christians how to farm sustainably. And they're going to be presenting the gospel to them. He grew up right down the street here. 
they're going to come visit us. They're missionaries and we, we don't support them. But wouldn't it be awesome if we could say, you know what, we're going to add the Georges to our, our list of missionaries we support. Wouldn't that be awesome? I want to see our patterns of giving increase. And I know that's going to happen as the Holy Spirit sanctifies us. And it's not just about money. It's about our lives. It's about our hearts. So this morning I'm going to pray for us. And then um, after I pray, I invite you to lift your hands with me as we sing the doxology. You're, you're, the words will be on the, on the screen and we'll sing the doxology. Praise God to whom all blessings flow. And we'll raise our hands as a sign that says, we're empty buckets, God, under your endless fount of blessing. Fill us up. We're gonna sing and then I'm gonna present the charge and the benediction, and finally you will be dismissed. And at that point, if you have any questions about what we talked about or if, or if you have a prayer request that you'd like, then just please come forward and we'll talk after service. So let us pray. Father, we need the innocent faith of a child. God, we confess that we worry about money too much. That we make it the center of our focus too often. God, make us eager to obey your commands and help us to know that they are not a burden, but they are a joy and a delight. Wash us clean of greed. Wash us of envy, of selfish ambition, God, fill us up with your generous love and mercy and enlarge our faith. Make us burn with passion for your kingdom such that our possessions and our relationships in this world would become worthless compared to you, our treasure. Help us to see and know and experience the eternal value and worth of Jesus. And we ask these things in his name for your glory and for our good. Amen. Would you stand and lift your hands with me? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. This is the charge. Freely you have received, so freely give. Someone once said, money was like blood. As long as it kept flowing, it, it is life giving but as soon as it stops moving it will kill you so let it flow this morning be generous to others as your father has been generous to you god invites you to test his faithfulness in this area so do it give as you have received so now may the god of peace who brought again from our from the dead our lord jesus the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.
Go in peace.